It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020. On this day in 1995, the Um Shinrikyo cult killed 13 people when they released sarin, one of the deadliest nerve gases in the world, into the Tokyo subway system. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Due to the graphic nature of today's crime, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under the age of 13. Today we're covering the Um Shinrikyo terrorist attack of 1995, which left 13 people dead and thousands more injured. In the days following the attack, Japanese people were glued to their television screens as authorities hunted for those responsible. Let's go back to the morning of Monday, March 20th, 1995, just as the Tokyo subway system was reaching its busiest point. It was sunny and brisk that morning. As commuters stepped off the street and made their way down to the subway beneath Tokyo, the relative warmth was welcome. People on the crowded platform at Kasumigaseki Station waited patiently as packed trains rolled in. Passengers disembarked like amorphous clouds of dark suits, leather briefcases, and harried faces. Those waiting on the platform moved forward to fill in the available space. The doors slid shut, and the train glided out of the station. At first, the ride seemed like any other. Those standing held firmly to handrails and avoided making eye contact with their fellow commuters. Chatter was at a minimum. The train was moving at its habitual rate. But not long after the train had left Kasumigaseki Station, a peculiar chemical smell began to waft through one of the carriages. It was strong and not completely unpleasant. Some likened it to paint thinner. And while no one was sure what the smell was or from where it was coming, the crowd started to shift, uncomfortable and confused. Something was wrong. The air inside the carriage began to feel thick, and people started to cough, loud gasping coughs. They were fighting to get air into their lungs, all around the cramped space, people seemed to lose control of their bodies. Some sat convulsing in their seats. Still more were slumped against the walls or those standing near them. As commuters sought to help or move away from the people with the worst symptoms, some noticed a spreading pool of liquid in the middle of the car. Tendrils of the substance fingered out from what looked like a discarded plastic bag. Those closest to it realized that the smell was coming from the puddle. A mad scramble began. No one wanted to touch the ominous liquid. In a hysterical commotion, someone thought to set off the emergency alarm. 
The train was still speeding beneath the streets of Tokyo when passengers began to foam at the mouth. People watched in horror as blood ran from the nostrils of others. Even those far away from the puddle were affected. They struggled for air, vomited, shivered uncontrollably, and felt a desperate burning in their eyes. As the train pulled into the next station, screaming spread from the carriage to the platform. Doors to the train opened, and waiting passengers were greeted with the horrific sight of convulsing, bleeding, and suffocating people. Immediately, station staff began ordering the evacuation of the platform. With panicked urgency in their voices, they directed people to the nearest exit. Already, those who could were pushing to get off the train. Some made it onto the platform only to collapse before they could get to an exit. On the street above, frightened people streamed out of the subway. They held makeshift masks over their faces, hoping to avoid breathing in the noxious air. Within minutes, troops from an army chemical warfare unit were on the scene. They arrived in vehicles specially designed to clean poison from the air. Even as makeshift medical tents were set up on the sidewalk, officials were determined to find out all they could about what had happened. Looking like they stepped out of a science fiction movie, troops in large orange spacesuits made their way down into the subway, already on the hunt for the truth. In the eerily empty train cars, they found the remnants of the liquid pooled on the floor. They determined that it had indeed come from a plastic bag, which, by the looks of things, had been punctured by something sharp. The bag and the liquid were carefully collected and removed from the train. Testing would later reveal that the liquid was sarin, one of the deadliest nerve gases in the world. Someone had used it as a weapon. Identical bags were discovered amidst similar grisly scenes on four other Tokyo trains. On the streets above the tunnels, the city resembled a war zone. Ambulances raced through the streets, rushing to get to victims. Helicopters landed on those same usually packed roads, ready to airlift people to hospitals around the country. When the dust finally settled, the attack had killed 13 people, seriously injured at least 50 more, and left over a thousand people with permanently affected vision. And no one knew who was responsible yet. Coming up, we look at just who carried out this deadly terror attack. Now back to the story. At the peak of rush hour on the morning of March 20th, 1995, Tokyo's subway system was thrown into chaos when sarin gas was released in five separate train carriages across the network. In all, the deadly attack claimed the lives of 13 people and injured over a thousand more. The evening edition of Japan's Yomuri Shimbun, the most read newspaper in the world, headlined the incident, the moving gas chamber. The phrase called to mind the death camps of World War II, where millions of Jewish people were murdered. Indeed, sarin was developed by Nazi scientists during the early part of World War II, but was never weaponized for use against the Allied forces. 
In fact, the first confirmed use of sarin wasn't until 1988, when Saddam Hussein's forces used the nerve agent to kill an estimated 5,000 Kurds in northern Iraq. The gas is typically odorless in its purest form, but impure sarin does have a faint smell, which is likely what passengers on the Tokyo subway noticed on the morning of March 20th. Suspicion quickly fell upon the Um Shinrikyo cult, who had carried out a similar plot one year earlier in the Japanese city of Matsumoto. In June of 1994, the cult used sarin to target judges presiding over a legal dispute in which the group was embroiled. That attack left eight people dead. Now, with sarin confirmed as the gas used in the subway, the group was on the country's radar once again. The Japanese people watched their televisions, feverishly lapping up news about the attack and the hunt for those responsible. Large wanted posters of suspects from the cult were placed prominently around the country. It wasn't long before they started to get results. Days after the attack, police raided the Um Shinrikyo compounds. Hundreds of members were arrested in connection with the deadly attack. And once some of the culprits were in custody, officials were better able to piece together exactly what had happened on the trains. The cult, which had membership numbering in the tens of thousands across Japan and Russia, boasted its own dedicated science minister. The group's chemists had worked to develop their own supply of sarin and had plotted with the group's leader, Shoko Asahara, to spread the gas across the subway system. Five pairs of Um Shinrikyo members carried out the attacks simultaneously. When the targeted trains had pulled into stations, the terrorists had dropped sealed plastic bags full of liquid sarin onto the ground. Then, using umbrellas with sharpened tips, they punctured the bags before swiftly making their escape. On their way out of the station, they each swallowed pills containing sarin's antidote, leaving chaos and death in their wake. Most of those responsible for the attacks were in custody within days, but the search continued for the group's leader, Asahara. It would be two months before he was finally apprehended at one of the cult's compounds. Hidden in a coffin-like chamber, Asahara was clutching fistfuls of money when police finally raided the complex. At his trial in 2004, Asahara spoke very little and was eventually sentenced to death along with six other members of his cult. He never offered any explanation for the attack of March 20th, 1995. But authorities came to their own conclusion. The attacks were intended to disrupt an upcoming police crackdown on the group. Some cult members also seemed to believe that the attacks would help usher in the apocalypse Asahara had long promised his followers. It achieved neither goal. Following the attack, Um Shinrikyo was stripped of its tax exemption as a religious organization and was bankrupted, paying compensation to the victims of their attack. But the group did find a way to survive. It changed its name and now exists as Aleph. To this day, the Tokyo subway system remains one of the busiest in the world. 
Over 8 million passengers ride daily. Looking back on the attacks, experts agreed that had the gas been distributed more effectively, the death toll could have been in the tens of thousands. Inefficiency in this case actually saved lives. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you're interested in learning more about Um Shinrikyo, check out our Cults episodes on the group. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Andy Waits, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Joel Stein. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Joel Callen, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime.